All right, welcome to Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. I'm your host, Christopher Locke. I'm also the IBPA Director of Membership and Member Services. So in the last few years, Tokyo Pop has had an incredible resurgence of success, leading Publishers Weekly to declare them one of the fastest growing independent publishers of 2023. It's always helpful for any publishers to learn from each other. So Tokyo Pop's COO and publisher, Mark Visnick, joins Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA to discuss the achievements they've had, some of the challenges they've had since the company began in 1997, including how they established the market for manga in North America and how they were able to bounce back so successfully after some difficulties in 2010. Welcome, Mark. How are you? Doing great. Thank you, Christopher. Wonderful yeah. intro. Well, so first off, the thing that I wanted to say is just congrats. I mean, I know that uh, you all have had, you know, some, I mean, you started out with a lot of success. But it's amazing that now you've had this resurgence of success. Uh, I know you've been with the company for two years, so I'm sure it's been very exciting being part of that whole process. Um, so I want to go back. Uh, you all began in 1997. You're a pioneer in bringing manga, which is a style of Japanese comics and graphics, to the U.S. market, which is a, a huge deal. Um, and as I mentioned, there was that PW article. So your sales in 2022 doubled over 2021, and they were up 580% from 2020. So I want to su- discuss like that kind of new success you've had. And um, one of the things uh, that's been part of that success is um, you've had you know new accounts with uh, bookstores, libraries, retailers, uh, like Target and Hot Topic. So how, after all this time, were you able to, to jump into these kind of newer places? And what would you all do with these deals? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, we're definitely, you know, benefactors of, um, of the success that overall the the book industry had seen during COVID. Um, but even more so, the category overall has just performed exceptionally well up until, um, really 2023, where we're kind of coming back down to, um, reality, which was inevitable to some extent. Um, And, you know, it's kind of a culmination of, um, I would say, uh, the category, the marketplace, and having the right products at the right time. Um, You know, a lot of our, our, our probably our our most um, successful products in the marketplace over the past couple of years um, have been our our Disney titles, um, Disney manga titles, um, Night Before Christmas and, and Stitch and Stitch and Samurai. And, uh, and our love, love, which are, are all inclusive romance, um, which has been a, a really, um, popular and successful, uh, line within, um, within manga. Yeah. So that I wanted to ask about that. I mean, Disney's one of the biggest companies in the world. So, I mean, how does someone, you know, how does a publisher get in with something like Disney and like, yeah, now we're going to be doing, I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas is one of those classics that everybody, uh, you know, like just, it's like one of those things people love and to, to now have those as in your catalog is pretty amazing. We're very fortunate to have Nine Before Christmas as a, as a property, an IP property within our catalog. There's no question about it. And, you know, this year it's been a 30th anniversary of uh, Nine Before Christmas, which, um, is scary to think about, but it's, uh, it, yeah, we're, we're very fortunate, you know, um, Nine Before Christmas and Stitch and, you know, in, in terms of trying to 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 work with you know licensing partners such as Disney and work with others, including Ubisoft, um, among others, and um, you know part of it is just um, looking at you know 
looking internally at yourself as, as a publisher and seeing like, what are my strengths? Um, what categories do I play, play in that might be relevant for, for, um, having conversations with licensing partners, um, that, uh, that, that are willing to, that, that makes sense for, for both parties to participate in, in having, um, you know, a, a relationship together. Um, so, I mean, Disney, as you mentioned, is a, it's a huge organization and, um, their licensing team is very large and they, they, they license, um, uh, properties to many different publishers, um, beyond Tokyo pop. Um, but, you know, for us, you know, they license, um, you know, manga content or some graphic novels based on certain IPs that we, that we, um, have, uh, requested from them. And if we're fortunate enough to get, uh, a green light to, to proceed with, um, those IPs, um, which has been the case with, with Night Before Christmas, um, you know, it's it's a, it can be a very uh, um, favorable business for 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 all parties, um, as long as obviously the the product is well received in the marketplace from consumers. So it's it's not always a foregone conclusion that something is successful when you license it, mm-hmm. and there there is risk associated with that. As um, when you're working with licensors, um, um, there's there's um, upfront um, compensation that needs to be provided from the publisher to the licensor. So. It's not not the most straightforward um, um, process, but it's it, it, again, it can be very lucrative if you're if you're strategic. Yeah, and with a partnership like that, who who reaches out to whom? I mean, you you sounded like you know you, you as a company is like, hey, this is something that would be good, and you you would reach out to them. I just think there are a lot of publishers that are out there who are like, I'd like to work with Disney or something, and they're like, I don't even know where to start with something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, Disney has a whole licensing team. So if you have a good idea um, um, for for a product, um, and and uh, you know, it makes sense, you know, um, to to reach out um, by all by all means, you should. Um, I mean, what's what's the worst thing that can happen at the end of the day? You know, licensing partner says no, but um, but it's always worthwhile to 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 think about um, who might be good to work with and, and kind of aligns with your brand. Um, and your and, and kind of the category that, that you're playing playing in, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And so it makes sense. Well, so you all have traditional distribution, uh, which is in case people are listening and they get confused, that's different from wholesale distribution, where like you're on something like Ingram Spark, um, with traditional distribution. I mean, they have a sales team that like helps sell to different places, and um, I mean, it's a, it's a big partnership. So. I'm sure that uh, your partnership uh, with IPG has, you know, been really helpful in you all growing. Um, so I wanted to see how publishers can learn from how you work with your your distributor in terms of how do you nurture that relationship? How do you maximize the relationship? Yeah, yeah. So we have two different distribution partners on the the trade side, as you mentioned. IPG handles our trade distribution, um, and we forged that relationship. Um, in uh, early 2021 um and it's been a great relationship ipg has um helped us um really grow our sales exponentially over the past couple of years um by allowing us to get um um wider distribution um into the traditional trade you know barnes and noble books a million independence libraries specialty market um and beyond, and I'll come back to that in a second. And then, and secondly, um, we also have distribution to the direct market, 
with Diamond, um, which handles all of the direct market, which would be comic shops um, globally for us. Um, but going back to IPG and your question about um, you know how best to kind of uh, work uh, collaboratively with your with your distributor to to, to kind of um, control your own destiny of of your sales. Um, it's really a partnership, you know, at the end of the day with, uh, with a full service distribution company, such as IPG, um, you know, they, they're, they're out there constantly advocating on behalf of a publisher and your list, um, to all of those channel partners that I just mentioned, Barnes and Noble books, a million, et cetera, independence. Um, but, um, beyond that, um, it's always good for the publisher to think about product placement, um, to the specialty market um, or mass market and what kind of makes sense and and, and to advocate um, on your behalf, whether it's with um, IPG, the sales team on our, on our side, or um, doing some outreach direct to, you know, forging relationship with accounts such as Hot Topic or um, Crate and Barrel or whomever it might be, depending on kind of what you publish that makes sense, where you think that this product would make a great, you know, would be a great fit for for this retailer because they carry, you know, similar products or they carry merchandise that um, is uh, the same IP that you currently um, are publishing content for. Um, and that's kind of kind of what happened with Hot Topic for us. So they they publish um, or they they um, they stock a lot of merchandise. I mean, for Christmas and Stitch and, and other IP. That we that we currently um, sell sell book content for, and uh, so it was kind of an easy conversation to have with with those retailers. Right. Yeah, that's great. And you said in terms of meeting with your distributor, so then you you have like calls with them. Uh, how often do you have those calls? And then for you as the publisher, like what do you bring to those calls in terms of preparation, so that you're like, okay, this this is how this is going to go. Here's all the things I'm going to ask them for you know ask them to do how does that all work right yeah so we have week uh monthly calls with our distributor ipg and diamond um we'll, we'll um have an agenda uh together prior to that call and generally the agenda kind of runs runs through um upcoming notable releases any um any uh stock concerns or challenges that we're we're currently facing um Talking about marketing and PR campaigns that are that are um, being worked on from our end that we can um, relay to them so they can disseminate that information uh, to uh, to the trade um, and also like preparation just uh, looking at um, uh, larger accounts such as Barnes and Noble and making sure that um, that uh, Barnes and Noble has um, um, not missed any 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 notable titles. Um, uh, on, on the order end side of things. Um, so just kind of looking through IPG's, um, system, their order, order sales data and making sure that as you're comparing your release schedule, that, um, all of those, uh, releases appear, um, accordingly, um, um, on the, on the sales, um, data side from, from Barnes and Noble perspective. So something is amiss, something was accidentally not picked up, especially when it's a, a notable title. You want to be aware of that and have that conversation with your distributor. Um, so they can take action and, and, um, talk to the, the appropriate folks on the, on the, uh, on the, um, on, on their side of the business, on the Barnes and Noble side of the business. Sure. Yeah. And 
So in terms of traditional distribution, I mean, as I mentioned, a lot of publishers out there want to land that, but it can be difficult to come by. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you have any advice uh, in terms of is someone who doesn't yet have that, what are the things that they can set in place to to land that? Yeah, I mean, so I've been on the on, you know, in my career, I've been on the distribution side. Um, so I can I can say from from the distribution side, generally, uh, distributors or full service distribution is is looking for um, a publisher that publishes a certain number of titles, um, and it can it can vary depending on um, who the distributor is, um, and um, you know in in. And, and kind of seeing whether or not that that publisher will fit within kind of the brands that the the, the full service uh, distribution party um, uh, represents or or has um, their their strengths in um, to well support your your catalog list. Um, so it's kind of it's it's kind of a combination of make you know what type of content that you're publishing, the size of of your of, of uh, your list. Um, what your your upcoming release schedule looks like going forward. So if you're if you're um, um, scaling up your business and you're putting out you know um, five or ten or fifteen new titles per year, that's um, generally advantageous for you to be able to secure um, uh, full service distribution um, and um, and really kind of having you know your ducks in the row like. Getting some some good um, some sales um, organically, where the distributor, full service distribution partner, sees kind of there's an opportunity for them to really step in and give you um, and your your publishing entity um, uh, an opportunity to really grow that business um, and, and have that conversation with with uh, that distributor. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you. Uh, so I'm wondering in terms of the last few years where, again, you've seen this resurgence, um, is there anything else that on that topic that you're like, this specifically we really think uh, led to these sales growth um, that might be helpful to other publishers listening? Yeah, for us, um, you know, I think, you know, for actually forging that relationship with IPG in, in 2021 um, was, uh, um, was crucial for us. It was really important. Um, and that really kick-started, uh, the, the growth that we had seen over the past couple of years. Um, cause up until that point, um, we were putting out great content, um, but our, our distribution was very limited to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So being able to have access to a full service distribution relationship with, with IPG, um, was really the catalyst. And then once we um, signed that deal with them, it was just continuing to further that relationship with them and look at um, with them and then outside of uh, what they were doing, looking at uh, channel partners, again, kind of specialty market retailers and mass market retailers such as Walmart and Target and um, and kind of um, reaching out in unison with them. Um, to have those conversations about, you know, we've, Hey, we've got the, we've got the right product. Um, what can we do about placement and, um, and, and, and kind of, and, and, and some of the stuff is long lead time conversations, mm-hmm. um, to be had as well. Um, 
But, you know, we were successful in kind of kickstarting those conversations early on. That's really led to uh, where we are today and and still seeing the growth in 2023. We're, you know, year over year, we're, we're up pretty significantly, which um, we're very fortunate, um, especially kind of seeing where the market has kind of pulled back a little bit this year um, for, for most publishers. Yeah, well, I'm interested because you all have been around since 97. So uh, is it just the newer titles or when you get a distributor, do they go, awesome, we now have access to this huge catalog. And then you go back to like whatever, something from 98. And you're like, look, this never got into stores. I'm telling you, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question for, for us. It's been really the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, the previous published stuff from back in 98, um, you know, it, to be honest, is it's just kind of sitting there in our backlist and we, we keep it available as uh, both digitally and print on demand. Um, but it, it's not really ha- that that old stuff is is great to have in, in our catalog and, and backlist always contributes to your 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 um, bottom line at the end of the day. But it's it's a small percent of, of what we're seeing in terms of our overall growth. It's been the new stuff um, over the past few years in particular. Hmm. OK, well, I want to go back. Um, as we mentioned, uh, you know, you all began in 97, uh, had a huge bang, pioneer bringing manga to the U.S. market. Uh, but then, in, as we mentioned, in 2010-11, um, there were some uh, challenges that you all ran into. I think this is something that a lot of publishers can learn from because clearly you've overcome them. So one thing was you had a partnership with Borders and Borders went bankrupt. So I know you weren't there at that time, but I'm just interested, like, how does that work where suddenly, like, that's a huge hit to a publisher. And when they lose a partnership like that, what was that process like? And then suddenly, and then how did you all go, okay, we're going to adjust and we're going to find new partners. Um, but I'm sure financially that was a, a hit at the time. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that uh, we, we were, our exposure with borders was, was quite large and um you know at the end of the day borders um you know going under caused a tremendous harm to our business and um and financially and, and allowed us to really no longer operate um for for a period of time and and you know that's you know we were we were one of many publishers that that um that that was uh, very unfortunate for and i think the lesson to be learned there is to to limit your exposure um to one single um retailer as much as possible um you know and i think that's what many publishers you know aim for these days uh you know within their businesses diversification of of um their sales um in in the marketplace whether it's you know borders books a million independents amazon um not really to be completely dependent upon a single channel partner because you never know something can happen um which is uh you know un- can be unfortunate and and outside and unpredictable um and you know and occasionally and um you need to protect yourself um as as a publisher and as a business yeah well it's interesting cuz you all are an independent publisher but IBPA has uh, members who are author publishers and i think that's certainly something that a lot of them do which is like they just put their book on amazon and they're like, I published a book and now it's on Amazon. And we're like, look, there are so many other avenues. You really got to get your book out there because y- y- like you said, you just don't know. I mean, I know they're a billion dollar company and all that, but 
you just have no idea uh, what's going to happen. And, and you don't want to one day just go from, you know, whatever, 100 sales a week to zero. So we absolutely advocate for diversifying where your book is sold. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about that was really interesting when I was reading the articles that Tokyo Pop at one point was uh, publishing like 500 books a year. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, like that's amazing. But also I think that's a really interesting thing in terms of balance of growth where uh, you're booming, you've got all these readers demanding. Um, but I think, you know, there's this, thing where you can grow so big and put so many books out you, you can get in over your head so i'm wondering how, that balance how do you you know you know and and you know i'm sure a lot of it comes down to numbers but just interested in that that concept of like because now you all do what like 60 titles a year or something like that so it's yeah we're, we're, yeah you're right yeah we we're releasing between six and ten titles per month um roughly. right so that's quite quite the difference so clearly you all were like Hey, maybe 500 years, not the best way to go. So how do what's that balance where you realize here's the threshold now of what we can make money on, but not, not do so much that then we're in overhead. Yeah. 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 I think it, it comes down to at the end of the day, you know, quality versus quantity, um, you know, and there, there are a lot of, you know, our, our, the space that we play in has become quite saturated with content. Um, some of our competitors are putting out, um, you know, 10 times as many titles as we do every month. And it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit alarming, um, especially from a consumer perspective. It's, there's a lot of noise um, in the marketplace in terms of content and kind of sifting through and kind of knowing what's good or not good or, or what you're, from a consumer perspective, what you want to spend your disposable income on. Um, so that's a challenge. Uh, from our perspective, you know, we're, we're, we're really kind of consider ourselves like a boutique publisher these days. Mm-hmm. Um, or again, we kind of focus on um, publishing, um, you know, uh, quality versus quantity, and 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 also it comes down to managing your cash flow, as you kind of touched on. You know, it, it, once you, you know, if you start, you know, uh, churning, you know, vast amount of content, it's hard to keep up with that, and in giving every single title the appropriate amount of um, attention. From um, from a launch and a marketing and a PR perspective that it that it should um, should obtain becomes quite challenging when you're um, growing your business, um, scaling your business too quickly. And so, my 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 um, my my thought process, my recommendation always for for other publishers is to you know grow your business, um, you know financially, you know be, be fiscally responsible as you grow your business. Um, you know, focus on putting out good quality content, um, prove, you know, prove that business model and then, you know, and then scale the business accordingly, like figure out ways that you can scale it, um, by having systems and processes in place that allow you to scale that business, um, both economically and, and, um, and, uh, in a manner that doesn't uh, cause you to or your employees to want to pull out their hair, you know, Mm. at at the same time. So. Yeah. Well, I have no experience with wanting to pull my hair out, uh, feeling overwhelmed with work. I wouldn't know what that's like. Um, So I wanted to talk about some other business aspects. Uh, So printing, for example, Uh, print on demand was a lifesaver for a lot of publishers uh, and author publishers who uh, just couldn't, 
like they couldn't buy 10,000 books and keep them in some warehouse somewhere. So it's really changed a lot. Um, but at the same time, when you do buy larger quantities, you can save a lot of money. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for people who are kind of trying to go from print on demand where, yes, sure, very helpful. Uh, you can, you know, save money, but you get to that point where you're like, well, I'm, I'm also losing money because the per unit cost is killing me in the terms of profits. So how do, how do you, how do the publishers go from that? Like when do they know they should make that change? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's a good balancing act. For us, we do a combination of digital print on demand and we also do offset. Mm-hmm. And I find that usually like kind of the, the, the breaking point to go from digital to offset is usually around like 1500 units or so. And it really depends on the printer or, you know, and where that printer is located. If it's domestic, if it's um, overseas, we do some some digital printing, uh, I should say offset printing um, in Canada and also overseas in Asia as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it, there's a lot of factors to take into consideration. Lead time. So if you're printing overseas in, say, Asia, um, you know, it generally takes three or more months to to, to get your product. Um, fortunately, you know, over the past, I would say six months or so, um, the supply chain, um, has improved dramatically, um, for, for over from, from, a, from an overseas perspective. So, you know, during COVID, you know, everyone was, you know, hearing in the news, all the headlines about, you know, supply chain disruptions and, and, um, and that caused a lot of disruption in our industry, um, especially for, for those that were doing um, offset internationally, it would take, you know, six months or a year to get product. And now we're kind of back to um, business as usual to a certain extent where you can get um, um, product, like I mentioned, in just a few months. Um, and the, the, the transportation rates have, have come back down to earth. And so it's become more economical to do that again. Um, and like, and, and we do digital printing domestically. Um, um, we use uh, a printer called RPI, um, mm-hmm. um, which uh, we, we love tra- you know, tremendously. They do, they do wonderful work, great rates, um, highly recommend them for sure. Um, there are a lot of great digital presses out there. You know, Ingram has their own print engine in, in Lightning Source and Spark. Um, you know, Amazon, of course, do through um, KDP. And, um, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of digital presses from, from varying degrees of, of um, sizes. The other thing to, to think about, too, when you're printing is, you know, you have to manage your cash flow. And so um, digitally, the advent of, of digital printing has always been it allows you to manage your cash flow and not tie up your your your, your cash and inventory um, and, and the speed and turnaround times with that. But obviously with digital printing, you know, it, it can cost a little bit more than offset um per unit basis um um for a unit of one versus if you're printing you know offset if you're printing two thousand units or so but you're you're tying up your cash um um in an in inventory um if you're printing uh, large amounts of inventory and so that's something that you have to think about as well um especially if you're a small independent publisher um so there's a lot of varying degrees of 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 things to to kind of take into consideration when you're when you're when you're thinking about printing and for, for us it's been a blended approach we do we, we do we do both and especially for our backlist where we're not going to sell you know 1500 or 2000 units per year it makes sense for us to do 
digital printing. We do 50 units or 25 units or 100 units at a time. And, and that makes sense for us. And that allows our, you know, us to keep our backlist um, in stock and, and available um, at retailers, which for us is, is important. And where, where are those books held? Where do you, where do you store your books? Um, well, with IPG and, and with Diamond, both of our, our, our distribution partners. Okay. So yeah. the distribution partners do that. And if someone doesn't have a distribution partner, they need to figure out a place to warehouse the books then, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, right. You know, how, how are they, you know, how are they supplying, um, the, the channel partners, the, the, the Barnes and Nobles, the Amazons, the independents of the world. And, um, um, are they supplying, you know, do they have their own, you know, uh, you know, warehouse space? Um, or are they doing, you know, in, in their garage, you know, I mean, what, you know, it kind of comes down to like, what, you know, where, you know, what, what, what means do they currently have from it, from a, from a distribution perspective, you know, obviously when you're kind of starting off, it's, um, you know, kind of all hands on deck and you're, you're, you know, some people kind of do it out of their garage and then they kind of move to, you know, renting out a, you know, a larger space. And, and then when you get a little bit bigger, then you can, you know, progress to maybe like a 3PL model, um or and then move to like a full service distribution model so it really kind of depends on the evolution of the publisher and where they're at in that phase um so and you were talking about you said you know like for the backlist you have a certain like maybe smaller amounts of books but whose decision is that is that the distributor or does the publisher say this one still sells well i think you should always have whatever 50 copies ready because i'm i'm telling you bookstores are going to be asking for this or is that who's how's that process work yeah i mean at the end of the day it's up to the publisher um and so we're the ones that are always uh we're always auditing our our on-hand stocks with our distributors and making sure that our our distributors always have uh ample stock at, at all points in time um because if you you know you're if you're out of stock then uh then consumers aren't able to buy your product um and you know, as we know, e-commerce is, is, uh, you know, represents, uh, quite a, a significant portion of, of, uh, book sales these days. And so, uh, if you're, let's say we're out of stock on a, on a particular title at IPG, what happens is that, um, the, the, the out of stock, um, uh, message is relayed over to, let's say, you know, Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and, and, uh, and that, uh, that, that out of stock message, um, status then, uh, gets, uh, relayed to consumers on, you know, amazon.com when you're looking for a product and you're on the product page and you see that it's not in stock or it'll say, you know, out of, you know, uh, one to two months out. Mm. If, if your status is one to two months out, you know, as a consumer, you or I are less apt to buy a product because you want mm-hmm. usually, you know, instant gratification, mm-hmm. uh, which then might lead you to, you know, looking other places for that product or passing and then looking at other products from, from, from other publishers or potentially buying digitally too. So, um, but having that in-stock message of um, in-stock now or one to two, day, one to two days or, or something of that nature is really important. But in order for that to, to happen, you have to have stock with your distributor um, so that, uh, that that message can be conveyed to consumers at the end of the day. So for, for us, I'm always looking at our, our stock position for all of our titles and making sure that they have some stock to some degree. Yeah. So uh, how often do you do something like that where you're monitoring 
the stock? I mean, you, I mean, does you have to do it like daily or weekly or something? Usually every couple of weeks, uh, I would recommend you do it at least one once a month at minimum. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, and then, um, yeah, I was going to ask then whose job is it at your company, but you're like, I do that. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much on me. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah. well, I'm interested in merchandise too, because that can be a real, like a, a revenue stream. And I feel like particularly the types of, you know, content you create lends itself to that. But, um, I know that's a whole other topic, but I'm just interested if there's anything you can say about like when you are, you know, publishing the, the manga, like are, are there certain titles that you talk to your team about and go, this one we got to have a t-shirt for or whatever that merchandise is? Who, who decides what the merchandise is for that product? Yeah, it's a great question. We, we, we don't currently do a lot of merch. Um, Currently, so so actually, Tokyo Pop. We actually have a couple of different entities. We have um, Tokyo Pop US, and then we have Tokyo Pop Germany. Our German subsidiary actually does a lot of merch, um, and we're learning a lot from them what what's been successful in in that market, which doesn't always translate to the U.S. market or North American market, I should say. And so, um, but it's something that we've been looking into, and we have um, some plans in the next six months to roll out some merchandise. Um, but it, yeah, it really does come, kind of come down to the team having, uh, discussions about, uh, what kind of merch, what, what IPs that we currently, uh, what properties that we currently have that would be tremendous for us to, to have, like you said, t-shirts or hats or, uh, you know, uh, calendars and, and, and other, other merch that makes sense, um, to make available, uh, for fans. Um, and it's, de it's definitely, uh, definitely um on our our trajectory for for kind of launching launching some merch absolutely i mean i i know that when i love something and i know a lot of people that you know people that are big book um fans uh, i mean they just they want to feel close to that content and they 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 get to know these characters and you know i mean i, I know you know there's like i mean like you know bed sheets that are you know, mm -hmm. like made of the character or whatever. And, you know, it, it's just amazing what some of these companies are able to do. Um, so I, this is great. Uh, this is some really interesting information. I, I really appreciate you for, you know, talking about, you know, the various things that you'll have done. Um, I mean, again, congrats on all this success. I mean, uh, for you all to have been around for so long is, uh, uh, quite the testament, um, to the, the product you're putting out. Um, I want to make sure everybody, takes advantage of going to the website. It's tokyopop.com. Uh, so check that out. Um, and you all also have a recent release, uh, The Battle for Pumpkin King, uh, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, it was on the New York Times bestseller list uh, recently. So that's amazing. Congratulations on that. Uh, I'm sure then sales will go even more. Um, you know, we just had Halloween. So this is like uh, the perfect timing for something like that. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for coming on to talk about po Tokyo pop. I mean, it's just been a success. Oh, and you're also an IBPA board member. So thank you for all that hard work too. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Looking, yeah. Forward, to, looking forward to keeping it going. Yeah. Um, so for everyone else, uh, we want to make sure that if uh, you're interested in, um, some of the benefits of IBPA membership, check out our website, ibpa-online.org. And also make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Uh, new episode drops every uh, last Thursday of the month on YouTube and everywhere you download podcasts. Uh, Mark, thank you again for everything and congrats. 
Uh, I can't wait to see all the amazing merchandise that I will buy. Uh, we'll do an interview later and you'll ha- I'll have like a nightmare before Christmas hat and you'll be like, ah, there you go. He bought it. Uh, so thank you, Mark. Thank you, Christopher.